0: reading is from Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. A new prophet like Moses. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You shall heed such a prophet. This is what you requested of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, if I hear the voice of the Lord my God any more, or ever again see this great fire, I will die. Then the Lord replied to me, They are right in what they have said. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet, who shall speak to them everything that I command anyone who does not heed the words that the prophet shall speak in my name i myself will hold accountable but any prophet who speaks the name of other gods or who presumes to speak in my name a word that i have not commanded the prophet to speak that prophet shall die this is the story of faith and faithful struggle thanks be to god
1: As we enter into this time of reflecting together on the scripture. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And may we, like Samuel, cry out and say, speak, Lord, for we are listening. Amen. The scripture that Jill has read today comes from Deuteronomy, just before Moses' farewell discourse at a time when he knows that he is not going to see the promised land, that he has been leading the Israelites toward for years, through the wilderness, through the Red Sea, listening to their complaining, enduring unimaginable hardship. Moses is not perfect. Moses, a prophet, is not perfect. Moses has sinned. He has had lapses in judgment. He has trifled with the staff of God, succumbing to the complaints and the whining of the people and struck the rock to bring forth water rather than trusting in God's promise that it would bring forth water simply by speaking God's holy word. Prophets are not perfect. Martin Luther King, Jr. was an amazing prophet, but not without sin, including extramarital affairs. But those do not negate that the word he spoke was on behalf of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was another amazing prophet who stood up against Hitler during the Holocaust, but was implicated in a violent plot to assassinate Hitler. Katherine Schiffer-Decker writes a commentary describing the signs of a true prophet per scripture as not being those that use status for self-promotion or entertainment. In fact, a true prophet never seeks to be a prophet. Just think of the reticence of Moses, Isaiah, and Jeremiah. A true prophet seeks neither self-promotion nor riches. A true prophet speaks God's word, not his or her or their own word. A true prophet bears a family resemblance to what comes before and is consistent with prophets who have come before. Both true and false prophets are known by their fruit. Those sowing anger, hatred, violence, discrimination, and fruit are clearly false prophets. As opposed to those who preach inclusion and grace and love, true prophets share God's life-giving, discerning word. True prophecies are not always easy. They are not popular, warm and fuzzy but rather they are often difficult because they move us into transformation which challenges the status quo. Those qualities of true prophets are consistent with what came before. So the question to ask when we're wondering whether a prophet is from God and whether to listen is whether what we're hearing is arrogant. Who is benefiting from this? What is the prophet promoting? What is the word challenging if one church or country or tribe is interpreted as more important or more holy than anyone else's basic needs that is not a true prophet of yahweh evils of discrimination and sexism and trampling the needs of poor and white supremacy and all of those prophets that put their own tribes needs above another's daily bread are false prophets and it's not always easy to hear the true prophets for instance with respect to the recent riots I heard more than once this is not who we are in truth this is exactly who we are this violence and anger is who we are at our worst and is exactly what we are called to transform this is why we need to be baptized Repentance has to start with confession an acknowledgement of the evil in the world. The Latin words are deus it, God is speaking. In prophecy, God has already spoken, and we are reflecting on it. We are chewing on it. We are discerning and acting on it. The prophecy is transforming us, transforming the world. In 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 13, we hear a discussion of what food is lawful to eat. And Paul gives the listeners kind of a shaking up as if to say, You're missing the point. It's not about the food. It's about the legalism. Paul asks, What's more important, the laws or relationships? Paul says in Scripture, Now concerning food sacrificed to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge, but anyone who loves God is known by God. It's not about the food. It's not about the law. It's about relationship. When we hear a prophet speaking a word from God, we may be confused because it goes contrary to what we believe to be important, just as the food laws were important in Paul's time. The real key is understanding whether what's being prophesied is bringing about transformation, equalizing the playing field, renouncing the spiritual forces of wickedness, rejecting the evil powers of this world, and resisting evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. I hope you recognize those words as our promise in our United Methodist baptismal vows. The lens through which we understand what we're hearing is key. If it is loving and builds up the other, it is of God. If it is arrogant and builds up one person or church or country or tribe over the needs of others, it is a false prophet. For instance, it is great to speak plainly and avoid swearing. Many of us believe that the root of the desire to speak in this way comes from our faith background. But let's not be legalistic about it. I don't want it to get in the way of me loving my neighbor. I hang around with bikers who swear all the time. And I know them to be very good people. Are our rules rooted in love or legalism? Maybe a feeling of superiority for instance we are better because we of our pristine language or abstinence or rules around alcohol or are we holding those values to make safe spaces for others who have difficulties with addictions to language or sex or strong drink what is our intention what is our intention Righteousness, not self-righteousness, but righteousness for the others' sake in order that they may feel loved, is the godly motivation. Prophets are human, and they are people that will be raised up just like you, just one of the people. Not everyone who says they are a prophet is necessarily speaking for Yahweh, the one true God. So how do we discern good from bad prophets? In Mark 1:21 through 28, we hear the concept of authority, talking about Jesus' authority. We see Jesus who is filled with authority from Yahweh and not corruption or power or other things. Jesus speaks out of a deep understanding of what God truly is desiring in human activity, as opposed to the shallow understanding of a scribe who simply transcribes words, on the page. The words of a prophet are the words of God's mouth, the words spoken. This is not complicated, not a show. These are God's words. God gives them to the prophet saying, you're going to speak them. This is the authentic word, not interpretation. It is the unvarnished word of God, the intent of love through the prophet to us. It's not trance-like. It's delivered clearly with understanding, with articulation, and directly what God has to say. Who is a prophet? What do they look like? The Deuteronomy text says the prophet will be like Moses. That does not mean a specific detail like being a Levite. A prophet is like Moses in that they are an intermediary between God and the people. That the prophet will clearly intone God's voice. You can hear the love. Again, we may not always recognize a prophet because we have an expectation that they will look like us and they will bring a familiar or a comfortable message. You may be wondering today why I have on our altar an earring tree. You may think that's a pretty strange thing to have in the background of a sermon, but I have a story to tell you. The Rev. Chenda Innes Lee is an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church, serving as the associate pastor of Fairlington United Methodist Church in Alexandria, Virginia. You may be willing to believe she is a prophet, because I have used words like ordained elder and reverend. On December 20th, Rev. Lee wrote on her Facebook page, Whatever your expectations of how you think a woman who happens to be a pastor should look to accommodate your comfort, I am here to shatter them. Hashtag what a pastor looks like. Now let me show you her picture. If Reverend Lee were in Wesley's pulpit this morning, would you accept her as a prophet? On January 1st she wrote again on her Facebook page saying in a world where clergy women are still being told to adjust their appearance to avoid being distracting to the proclamation of the gospel is one clergy woman who refuses to acquiesce to such foolish demands inviting all clergy sisters and supporters of clergy sisters to join me this Sunday for dangling earrings challenge Post a pic of yourself in your dangly earrings with the hashtag What a Pastor Looks Like or hashtag Dangling Earrings Challenge. The danglier the better because like white supremacy, sexism and misogyny continue to rear their ugly heads. On January 10th, don't mind me, she says, I'm just a herald of the gospel resisting evil, injustice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves while rocking my dangling earrings. Week 2 of the Dangling Earring Challenge The challenge is an invitation to sisters and supporters of clergy sisters to post pics of themselves in dangling earrings as they teach, preach, lead worship, or engage in other ministry-related events this month. As an act of resistance to the misogynistic and sexist demands that try to diminish our authenticity as heralds of the gospel, and then she says, please consider making a donation in an amount equivalent to a pair of earrings to the Bishop John and Irene Innes Foundation. The work of this foundation focuses on providing education and healthcare opportunities to rural communities in Liberia, West Africa. You can make your donation at www.innesfoundation.org." She goes on to say, unless you think... It, actually, this is me talking. <laughs> and lest you think it is just men defaming women, listen with me to what she wrote on January 17th, two weeks ago. This is week three of the Dangling Earring Challenge. She says, I am in a Facebook group of clergy moms. And a member of this group expressed her frustration with the continual postings of clergy women in dangling earrings. She felt the challenge was not only detracting from the more pressing things happening in the world, particularly this nation, but that our postings made us look shallow. Reverend Innes says, uh, Innes Lee says, "I wish I could say I was surprised by this person's words, but I was not." Her comment goes to the heart of why I decided to start this challenge and exposes the myriad ways clergywomen consciously and subconsciously internalize sexism and misogyny at the expense of our authenticity. I am grateful for the many sisters who came to the defense of the challenge and named the nuances of racism, sexism, and misogyny layered in her comment. What this fellow clergy sister failed to see is that the work of dismantling the isms persistent in our society takes many forms. It is not an exercise in prioritizing which work is more or most important. All of it is important. All of it is necessary. My prayer is that we each find the courage to do the work. In whatever way is meaningful and impactful in hope of realizing the vision of a more just an equitable world. I join with Reverend Lee, holding her up to be a prophet in our time, opening my eyes, and I hope yours too, to the inequities, the uncomfortable truth that we must face in ourselves if we are to transform the world, if we are to resist evil, injustice, and oppressions in whatever form they present themselves. Last week, Challenge Week 4 of the Dangling Earrings, she says, I've spent most of my pastoral career in predominantly white spaces where I've had to dim my light for the comfort of whiteness. Well, when I turned 40, I decided enough is enough, and I vowed to make right all the years I've spent suppressing my authenticity. This is me. See this photo? This is me no longer associating and allowing whiteness to dictate how I should live or move or be in the world or as a black clergywoman. All this begs the questions, who's in and who's out when it comes to prophetic proclamation? Who has had words placed in their mouth by God and who can we trust? We have to turn toward what we know are the divine's priorities liberation, interdependence, imagination, radical action, the embodied experience, the flourishing of all of creation. The words of the Prophet will call us to bear this fruit, and we as Christians don't get to decide who God chooses to speak through, what they look like, what they wear, how they express themselves, to the world or to us. The day that white racist militia stormed the Capitol on January 6th, spreading both white supremacist violence and the coronavirus in an unmasked super spreader event. Social media feeds were filled with the assertions that if this had been a Black Lives Matter protest, the inaction of police and government officials would not have been the same. Emily Heather Price said, if they're meeting you in riot gear, it's because what you are doing threatens empire. If they open the gates for you and welcome you in, it doesn't. What needs to change in our structures and in our institutions so that we can make space for those voices of challenge to affect us enough to change? The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, says Moses. There are a lot of ways, traditional ways, we can extrapolate what a prophet like Moses would be like. But the way I want to think about Moses today is as someone born in the margins, who grows up into a place of power. He's familiar with the empire's power, having been raised by Pharaoh's daughter. Part of his journey is having to confront the stories that formed him. And he has to confront those parts in himself. These encounters with himself and his stories around power are what lead him into a relationship with the divine. To be a prophet like Moses is to walk this journey and have it be central to the vocation of life with God. The prophetic voice bubbles up through the grappling with identity and the individual's unique spiritual story. That brings us back to the question of who do we listen to? How do we know it's the voice of God even speaking directly to us? In the Wesleyan tradition, we have something called the quadrilateral, a way of discerning based in Scripture, but also examined through experience and reason and tradition. So consider what you are hearing through your memory and understanding of Scripture. What passage comes to mind? What does Jesus say about it? Then think about the ways the church has treated the issue traditionally over the years. Think about what it means not only to your experience, but to the experience of those oppressed in the world. And finally, reason it out. Think. T H I N K. Think. Pass what you are hearing through this test. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Think. Is it true? T. Is it helpful? H. Is it inspiring? I. Is it necessary? N. Is it kind? K. Think. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Amen.